bit more about Christianity. Christianity. Going to continue our uh, new series at the moment. This is week four of the Unstoppable Church. It's going to go on for a few months now, where we are spending time in Acts 15 to 20, looking at um, Paul's second and third missionary journeys and getting to see what an unstoppable church looked like then and then realise it's just as relevant for today. The things we see, the things we discover, and the things we can learn. Today is going to be very practical. Who likes practical things that you can do? Yes. Doctrine is brilliant. Doctrine is vital. must never let go of it. And we need to help you all become theologians with a little T. We need to know what the Bible says. What is the point of understanding about his blood on the cross? And what does the resurrection mean for me now? Etc. Doctrine is vital. But unless you can do something with it, what's the point? We need to make it practical and learn how to apply it to our everyday lives as well, don't we? So today's going to be very practical, lots of handy tips. How's that? You up for that? Yeah, oh yeah. Have you, I'm sure you have, have you ever arrived in a new environment with no idea how to find your place within it? In a workplace, in a new family, your new, your new partner's family or whatever, in a church? Real awkward coming in for the first time, can't it? There's nothing quite like being welcomed in, being recognised, being given attention to, being personally considered. That unlocks so much, doesn't it? And today, we're going to be looking about that principle, what a difference that can make in the advance of the church, in the advance of God's kingdom. The principle of invitation makes such a difference, which is why it's part of our new vision. Can you remember what our vision is? You've got it in your bulletins, okay, so you can cheat. Our vision is to be a family of Jesus' followers, learning what that really means, reaching across home bay and further, encouraging each other to grow, discipling one another, but also inviting others to join the adventure. It's going, come and meet Jesus. You wouldn't believe what can be ahead of you, what you're missing out on. Invitation is at the core of the gospel. And we, as your leaders, we want to help you find it easy to be witnesses for Christ. Who finds it hard to be a witness for Christ? I do. I'm putting my hand up. We want to make it easy. We want to do what we can to help. So the word invitation, I want to break that down into three parts today. Three, can I have the next slide up, please, Paul? Three parts today looking at invitation, about going, connecting, and birthing. Going, connecting, and birthing. And we're going to find that in Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. If you recall, Paul's second missionary journey started off well. It started off with a disagreement. Hey! When him and Barnabas had a bit of a falling out, they went their separate ways and actually God used that to double the mission. So Paul took Silas and then we heard in week two, we heard about how he picked up uh, young Timothy, took him on his travels. And now we see in verse 11 here, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage. We suddenly discover Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, has joined them as well. So now we've got Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke at least are now on this missionary journey. So let's read verse 11 down to verse 15 for now. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, no idea how to pronounce that, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised and her household as well, 
She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let me just pray. Lord, as we just look at this small selection of verses, this little story, this birth of a church, Lord, may you speak to us today, Beacon in Herne Bay in 2017, and say what it is we can learn from this, what it is we can do about this, and how we can run after you in a new way. So, Lord, by Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to us, reveal something new to us, challenge us, provoke us, spur us on as your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, we've got the birth of a church plant. And it only takes Paul a week. <laughs> we spend years working up to our church plants, getting ready for them, don't we? Sometimes it's, there's a lot of good wisdom behind that. But here, it takes a week. Within a week or so, Paul's left a church plant, a new baby church behind, that's got a businesswoman in her household, a, a delivered slave girl, and a Roman jailer. What a church plant. It's amazing. What a mix. But the thing is, if it only takes a few days, God still does something quite magnificent. What's the secret? Now, we can look back and go, well, it was God doing something special in that time. Well, maybe, but there are other times he spent years in Ephesus. What's going on here? What, well, sometimes it's a right to move on quickly. Sometimes it's right to hang around. But there's a similar pattern that wherever Paul stays, for however long he stays, there's a pattern of what he applies and how things start. You see, the unstoppable church is one that moves forward by growing. That makes sense. It moves forward by growing. But also it grows by moving forward. There's a part for us to play on pushing doors and seeking on the Lord and trying different opportunities and, and, uh, and just preach of being faithful and preaching the gospel and see what God does with it. We do, we do grow by moving forward, but we move forward by growing. It's a bit of both. It's like this slinky spring. There's a sweet balance between God bringing the growth and his people, us, simply not sitting around waiting for it. It's about co-labouring, isn't it? So I just want to talk about these three things. I'm going to spend more time on connecting more than anything else, but going, connecting, and birthing. Going, first of all. See here, Paul is following his usual strategy of looking first for the people with an understanding of God's existence. I was just talking about the Christianity and rap course, but half my friends, I mean, they've got the foundation of whether he's real or not. That's a hard foundation to build on, isn't it? Paul immediately is going looking for believers in God to then introduce them to the Messiah. Now, in Philippi, there's a reason why he's gone to the riverside. It's clear that there's no synagogue in town. It's a Roman city in a Greek world. There's no synagogue. So he used to go to the synagogues and try there, and if they chucked him out, he'd go somewhere else. But he wants to go and reach the people who are waiting for the Messiah, for him to go, found him, do you want to meet him? <laughs> he's already got something to build on. So there's obviously no synagogue here. He would have gone there. Synagogues needed at least 10 men, 10 Jewish believers, to have a synagogue in a place. Obviously, he didn't have that many in Philippi. So he went to the riverside where there's some women who believe in God, these worshippers of God. So what he's doing, he's not putting out adverts, come to us, call 1-800-MESSIAH if you want to know more, that kind of stuff. He's going to them. He's not expecting them to come and find him. Paul's here if you want to know about Jesus. He's going to find them. And instead of a synagogue that's obviously not available, he's gone down the riverside, this place of prayer. He's going to where they are rather than expecting them to come to him. All he's doing is echoing Christ's own heart. We're made in the image of God, and as his people, that should be redeemed in a new way. Our God is an invitational God. Jesus is into going. He came to us. There's no way we could approach him, no matter how, how hard we try to muster up being righteous in front of him, to even seek on him. He came to us to reveal himself. He's a God who goes. 
he led the fray. He's a God who was, he was sent, but he also chose to enter. Was Jesus volunteered or did he volunteer? The answer is yes. He was sent and he chose to come in agreement with the Father and he met us where we were. The Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is this eternal family that is always ever moving outwards. It's just this overspill of, overspill of love and grace that just poured out into creation and keeps pouring out even now. The Godhead is a multi-personal community, a family that is always, always moving outwards, eager to pour forth praise and love upon each other. And now as his people who have been rescued, we have an obligation to join in that, pouring out what God has put in us and keeps putting in us. We're swept up into God's mission. God is always on mission, always on mission. And the sent one, Jesus, is now sending us. Because in Matthew 28, what did he say? Go. Oh, that fun word. Go into all the world. Make disciples, baptise them, teach them and so on. Go. And Paul's just being faithful. He went to the seekers. He went to the ones who were searching for more, open to the transcendent. He'll talk to anyone. But he's looking for where there's rich soil ready for the gospel to be planted. And from there, the ripple effects then carried over into society and those with less of a foundation. Jesus started with the Jews, but it was also for us, the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Jesus said, in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. It starts somewhere, but then there's a ripple effect for the rest of society. And here, Paul finds a worshipper of God, as she's described. She's got some basic foundation. But from there, it ripples across to a slave girl and a Roman jailer and his household and so on. It ripples across into society. Which we're, going to find, we're going to find those stories in the next couple of weeks. If we want to see more people rescued, more hearts transformed, the onus is on us to go. Ouch. <laughs> Do we have to? But as Wally rightly prayed this morning, if we haven't got a heart for the lost, we need to keep asking for it. We cannot. 37,000 people in Home Bay don't know Christ. That wakes me up in the morning. We've got a job to do. Because God's got a job to do, and he's sweeping us up into it. So the onus on us is to go, but how do we do that? Who finds it difficult? Yeah, of course we do. Connecting, that's the key. Connecting. Lydia, she was a businesswoman from a city in Turkey. It's 250 miles away. She's a long way away from home. She's intelligent. She's clearly a go-getter. She's clearly the head, of a, she's the head of a household. There's no mention of her husband. She's prevailing on Paul to come to her household. There's no mention of her husband at all. She seems to be the head of her own household. She's, she's a go-getter. Her business was in purple goods, purple cloths, which was a very expensive and hard-to-get colour dye in those days. In fact, it was made from shellfish, and for a couple of square yards of cloth to be dyed purple, you need thousands of shellfish, this particular shellfish, to get this dye. It's hard to get hold of. She was, she was quite a, a kind of high-society businesswoman in that respect, to the market she had. She was the equivalent of a manufacturer of Gucci handbags or Rolex watches. That's who she was. And Paul didn't use clever arguments to win her over. She's an intelligent woman, but he never used that. But nor was she persuaded by sentiment or feelings either. She's capable, she's intelligent, she's rational. So what happened? Well, first of all, she and Paul just naturally connected. Something clicked. God set the scene for this click of a relationship where they, so that he could just speak and just share the truth and she received it. 
Turn to Luke chapter 10. When Jesus sends out his 72 disciples, he had more than his 12 disciples, he had 72, and then he had hundreds and thousands beyond that of people who followed him. But he had different core, different degrees of relationship with these people. He had this 72 that he sent out on mission. Luke chapter 10, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, did it in pairs, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Now, we like the sound of that. Lord, there's a big harvest. Thousands of people in Herne Bay don't know Jesus. Give us more labourers. What does he say in the next verse? Go. You're the labourers. <laughs> Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. But when you enter a town, whatever house you enter, first say... Peace be to this house. It's a normal Jewish greeting. Peace be to this house. It's a test. Because he says, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. He's saying, look for a person of peace. It will be very obvious, very quickly, if they are a person of peace. If not, he says, move on. Even like shake off the dust from your feet, move on. But if they are a person of peace, he said, don't move. Stay there. Dig in. Build relationship. Be who you're meant to be in that place because they will open up to greater things. They will listen to you. They will receive the truth, but also they will open you up to a bigger horizon beyond them. They're a doorway. The person of peace principle is a really, really helpful way of understanding how to pray for your relationships, how to spot opportunities, and how to build relationships for the sake of the gospel, not for the, just for the sake of friendship. How do you spot a person of peace? Well, three things. First of all, they're open to you. They accept you straight away. So, you know, give that Jewish greeting. Peace be to you and your household. If they go, who are you? Get out. It's quite obvious. But if they welcome you in, suddenly you just know they're open to you. Person of peace is open to you, but it's more... It's about more than friend, just friendship. It's more than that. This is about someone who God uses to lead to bigger horizons because they're also open to the gospel. They may not receive it straight away. They may not receive it for years. I've got some persons of peace in my friendship circles, really, really close friends. 20 years later, they're still not saved, but they're still asking the questions. They're still open to the gospel even if they haven't received it yet. Does that make sense? Just because they're not saved yet doesn't mean we need to give up when they're still open to it. If they're quite clearly, I don't want to talk about that, then honour that. Just be yourself in front of them. Don't keep trying to crowbar Jesus into the, situa into the situation. It just makes it worse. If they don't want to know, that's fine. But some people make it very obvious. They're still open to talking about it. People I know, they say, I can't have your faith, but I, I'm jealous of you. I want what you've got. I just can't get there yet. That's fine. Keep loving each other and I'll answer your questions when you ask. They're open to the gospel still. They won't reject you when you share the good news of Jesus. And thirdly, also, they will champion on your behalf. They open the door to further opportunities. They gossip about your belief. They talk about you behind your back in a good way, in, in a good light. They gossip about your church family. They send people your way. People have come to Beacon behind the scenes during the week because somebody sent them. I know who you need to speak to. People at Beacon Church. I've had messages on the answer phone in the office 
Uh, hello, I don't know who to ask for, but I'm having this, this, this going on in my life, and someone said to ask you. Okay. Someone somewhere is a person of peace, even if I don't find, don't find out immediately who it is, is gossiping about us in a good way. People of peace champion us on our behalf. These people can lead to a click in a workplace, which can be hard to get into. Suddenly you're in that group and you can make an, have an influence there, have a change. In the neighbourhood, perhaps the connections to other openings elsewhere. Jenny and I have seen this time and time again. Most of our friends who aren't in the church in Herne Bay are because of two people. Two persons of peace who we've known for a number of years, one far more than the other. They're still not saved yet, but they're open to the gospel, they're champion on our behalf. And through them, we've met loads of others. And now because of that, we've had people around for dinner. We've been to these other families' houses for dinner. We've been on holidays, you know, with some of them as well. I was down the pub a couple of weeks ago with two, two other guys. A third one couldn't make it. Can't wait for us to do it again so he can join us. I wouldn't have met any of those three blokes if it wasn't for one particular person of peace. One lady from Coffee and Chaos. Isn't it amazing how God opens up this relationship? We see it time and time again. Martin Gibson at Maidstone, he was just saying, just during this week, some of us leaders were together in Ipswich, and he was saying, there's one guy they've been investing in over the past, week, uh, past year or two. Um, his, his ups and downs in his life. He's finally got saved. Straight away, next hour for course, he brings seven people. They open up to greater opportunities because of investing in the one. And God often makes it very clear to you who that one is. Maxine. Maxine Rob, many of you may not... I'm sure many, many of you heard of her. If you haven't, Maxine Rob is one of our members, but she lives in China. She spent many years out in Southeast Asia doing some amazing work. She's, um, when she was in Vietnam, it finally led to two established coffee shops which gave street kids and their parents jobs, got them off the street. Many got saved and baptised. It led to Alpha courses being run out of there, discipleship courses being run out of there, even led to a nationwide student volunteer movement out of it as well. How did that start? One lad called Tan. Just when she went in there, hang out with some of the street kids on the corner, this cheeky little blighter called Tan, giving it a bit of that, they just clicked. And he introduced her to the families in the slums, took them to, the, to their homes. Jenny and I managed to sort out some money to give him and his, and his mum... Um, a little stall in the market. Um, I, I, Jenny and I managed to get out there. We, met, we met, met him. I was in tears. I met this kid who was then getting older. Through him, he opened the doorway to so much more. So many more people being saved. He's, he's saved. He's born again. He's married now. He's a young man now. And because of that one young lad, Tan, person of peace, God opened the doorway to many, dozens, dozens more getting saved and baptised. Isn't that amazing? Person of peace. And, it's, and it can be easy. It doesn't have to be hard work. However, there are some practical things we can learn in how to look for them and how to invest in them. First one, key factor, how to meet a person of peace. This is the tricky bit. The willingness to meet the person of unpeace. You've got to be willing to meet the person of hostility if you're looking for a person of peace. Jesus made it quite clear we have to get out there. We've got to come out of the closet. I'm for Jesus. We've got to get out. We've got to go. But if you're not in willing to encounter the people that will reject you for it, you're not going to find the ones that will embrace you for it. Does that make sense? It takes a bit of guts to open up about who we are. Nick and Marlene Boyd. John mentioned Marlene um, Boyd speaking in Maystone next week at this um, Women's Day on Saturday. Um, 
Nick and Marlene Boyd were at Ipswich this week as well. Nick said, this is very important, fear of rejection binds up the mouth of the gospel. How many times, I'll be honest, how many times have you not shared something explicitly about God and Christ because you're worried about what the other person or the people around you would think of you? Yeah, we've all done it, I know. Fear of rejection binds up the mouth of the gospel. The willingness to meet the people of unpeace means you end up meeting the people of peace. It's just being okay with the fact that some people will reject you. It's real life, isn't it? But some more handy hints. Next slide. Yeah, be smiley people. Smiley people starts with a smile. When you're walking down the street, smile at people. They'll think you're weird. Brilliant. Smile at them. I'll tell you what, doctor's waiting rooms, Sainsbury's shopping queues, smile at people, bit of eye contact, that can lead to conversation, can turn out you've got a mutual friend, can become something. When you're sitting in a, in a group, when you're sitting at a bus stop, when you're walking down the street and your neighbour, three doors up, you've never spoken to, smile, eye contact can unlock something straight away. Make a big, big difference. Smile. Do you know, when you're preaching, you're looking at the sea of faces and they all tend to have a similar look on them. Do you know what the uh, most common expression is for, I think this preach is brilliant, you're doing a really good job? Do you know what that expression is? It's this. And do you know what the expression for, I don't agree with anything you say and I'm thinking of leaving the church, is this? It's really hard to tell the difference. When someone's at the front, smile at them. If you're not happy, don't smile, that's fine. Smile at people. Because the trouble is, the default expression for the human face is a bit glum, isn't it? Are they happy? I don't know. Do they like me? And the trouble is, you can look across at church and someone might be scowling at you. They're not. They're thinking of something really important and they're looking through you into the middle distance. But you're like, oh, they don't like me. Remember how you look to other people. Smile, because when you're walking down the street, seeing a neighbour who's just moved into the area, sitting next to someone in the, doctor's queue, in the doctor's waiting room, whatever it might be, smile, it can unlock a lot of things. We can all do that bit, can't we? Meals. Meals are good. Jesus loves food. It worked for him. I'm going for it. Uh, Andy Moyle came here a few years ago. He spent a weekend with us, didn't he? He's written this book, Friends, Food and the Gospel. This is really, really practical. This is a brilliant book. It's inspired me and Jenny to do more of this. And it breaks it down into what you're good at and what you're not. It's fine. You can work as a team, as growth groups, whatever it might be. You might be good at harvesting people, inviting people in. You might be rubbish at that, but you're good at cooking. You can do that together. Does that make sense? We can work as a team. You might be good at connecting. You might be good at something else. Friends, food and the gospel. We have a little look at it later. You can get it on, I know it's on Lulu, but I think you can get it on Amazon as well. But there's even a website on the back of it you can have a look at as well. Little books like this are really inspiring, but they break it down to practical, handy stuff we can all do. Meals are good. Inviting, what I mean by that is the same as what we mean by our vision, inviting others to join the adventure. I don't just mean inviting someone to Sunday morning or inviting people to a Christianity and rap course. Both are important, both are great but it's being invitational in your own demeanour, inviting people into your story. They go, how was your weekend? You go, it's all right. Or, how was your weekend? Well, it was a bit tough, to be honest, but one of my friends prayed for me at church and I just, God just gave me this immense peace I wouldn't have had otherwise. What's that, one, two sentences? But it's inviting people into your story. And you soon make it obvious if they're willing to know more or not. Inviting. Listening. Listen to the people you're talking to. We can be, all of us, and I, I do it, we're so ready, we're building bullet points in our head of how we're going to deliver our spiel on the back of what they're saying. We're not really listening to what they're 
saying, or we're trying to trump them. Oh, you got one of those cards? Well, my dad had such and such. We can all do that as well, can't we? Listen to them, hear the heart, listen beneath the words sometimes. Pick up of how they're feeling and how they come across. And sometimes you'll find something else to unlock. Which is why I put the E, ever praying. Bit of a cheat. Ever praying. On Friday, I got up in the morning and said, God, I haven't got enough stories. I want more stories. Give me a story today. And at Coffee and Chaos, a couple of hours later, I was just standing, talking to one of the mums who I've known for a number of years now. She comes quite regularly. Talking to her about her work. And she said, there's big changes at work. And uh, she's in the police force. Big changes at work again. And uh, she's really quite worried, quite anxious about um, where she's going to get placed. And she's made requests and of which department she wants, which location she wants that will work with her and childcare and things like that. She's getting quite anxious about it. So I thought, here we go. I said, I don't know where you're at with God and his involvement in life, but I'd love to pray for you if you're up for that. She went, I'm well up for that. It's funny you should mention that. Someone else said that to me during the week. Like, really? She started telling me the story about someone else who'd offered a has offered to be, or said they had already been praying for her. Another mum started joining in. Well, can you pray for God to help me win the lottery? So I, I, but then straight away I was able to go, he's not Father Christmas, he's Father God. Very, very different. And we had a big conversation about that. Now I can come back in a few weeks and go, how's it going with the job I've been praying for you? Suddenly it opens up conversations to deeper things. It was simple. Ever praying. Just be aware, listening, praying while you're listening to people praying for people in their absence to see what happens in the meantime. One more story. We're running out of time. I just want to share one more story that helps um, show this, demonstrate this person of peace. Um, Kev and Lydia Jones lead our Helsinki church plant. Uh, Barry and Maureen's daughter Lydia and her husband Kev and their four kids, they're out there in Helsinki. Um, there's a girl at, a lady at Lydia's work called Lisa. She was being bullied at work. She's been ostracised by the staff. So Lydia took it upon herself to sit down with her at lunchtime. Immediately, she was judged by her colleagues. There was dis immediate disapproval by her colleagues for having sat with this lady that they were bullying. But Lydia knew it was the right thing to do. She said as soon as she sat down, she just knew straight away, she got a sense that this woman, Lisa, was a person of peace. She just knew it straight away. Lisa immediately was open and transparent about her situation. She had great vulnerability. She was a single mum, finding things really hard. And... Kevin and Lydia th thought, we can't do much. We're at full capacity with work and learning the language and looking after the children and trying to get this church plant off the ground. They just felt, we can't do much more. What we can do, she can come around for supper and she's just going to have to take us as we are. Chaotic, noisy home, as Kevin puts it. So she came with her son, came for a meal. They said the conversation was regularly stopped because of kids running in and tripping over and whatever it was. And... and um, it was the food, said the food was normal, didn't do anything special, noise levels were high, but it unlocked something in their relationship. There's the meal. There's the smile and the meal, isn't there? And as a single mum, she couldn't go out by herself. So now and again, they offered to have her son overnight on a Saturday so she could go out. So she'd come and pick him up from church the next morning. And she'd be loitering around outside, just listening to them while they're worshipping, to YouTube videos as they often did at the time. And uh, halfway through, she'd, she'd disappear in tears. So then Lydia chased after her and goes, what's wrong? She goes, nothing's wrong, it's just God's presence is here. Already God was doing something in her. So then she got, it's before she was saved, she got so excited about what worship can do for you, she wanted them to lead some worship times in the halls of residence on the campus where she lived. So they did that, they hosted a worship event there, and they said no much immediate fruit came from that, but now it's given them as a church a vision for the rest of that campus. Suddenly it's opening up to something else. 
The good news is she decided to follow Christ last summer, got baptised in a lake last August. She's a person of peace, and it started off with a smile and then a meal. I think we can all do something to varying degrees. Even if it's, you can't do a meal in your own home, you can take someone out for a coffee and cake, whatever it might be. You don't have to have lots of people, just that one person. Find your person of peace and celebrate them and invest in them. And see what God does. See what God does. Final slide, we'll come back to the third point. Birthing, here's the thing. That can still feel daunting to many of us, I get that. Some of us find it easy to be social, some of us find it hard to be social, that's fine. But here's the good news. We are not the rescuers. Yay! It's not actually down to us. Part of the good bit about the good news is that it's not all down to us. The power is in the news. We're the town criers. We get to shout out about the king who's come. He does the saving. As unable as we are to save ourselves, we're unable to save others. And that's okay. That's the point. It takes the weight off us, but it also impels us to pursue the good work before us because God says he will continue to save people. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? So let's come back to Acts 16. What happens with Lydia? She's described as a worshipper of God. She's not Jewish. And it would state if she was a convert, because that's quite a unique thing at the time. Some did, not many. <coughs> so she's a worshipper of God. So in those days, the term they would have used is she's a God-fearer. She's not a convert to Judaism, but she's got an inkling there's some truth here. She's a God-fearer. Now, I know a number of people who worship God in different ways. I say God in quotes because their understanding of who that is isn't there yet. But they don't know him. Being spiritual or religious doesn't mean you're sorted, does it? Even calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. Two very, very different things. Anyone can call themselves a Christian. It takes a whole other thing to open your life up to him, to lay your, de- lay your life down before him and say, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. That's what Christian means. It means a little Christ, God in me. So calling yourself a Christian might be a step, but it's not the destination. That's being a follower of Christ. So what happened to Lydia? Verse 14. Uh, Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is called regeneration, Holy Spirit regenerating. It's Titus 3, verse 5. says, He, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Nothing we do saves us. Never forget that. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to Christ as the true living God who died for us. It's Holy Spirit who unplugs our ears to the good news of Jesus. It's Holy Spirit who opens our hearts to receive him. Every time you look back on your story of how, if you're, if you're a believer now, look back on your own story And as much as you were perhaps doing some seeking, doing some knocking, trying to find out, when you look back, do you then discover actually he was pursuing you all along and he was stirring those questions in your heart? I contend that's always the case. 
we discover it's him initiating the relationship and the journey. There's a divine romance occurring each time. Every time another person becomes a true believer in Christ, he has pursued them until they see him for who he is and are willing to repent and commit their life to him. I will ask this, if you don't know Christ, are you being pursued? Listen out for that nudge. Listen out for that, those whispers of, there's something missing. And this seems to make sense. Be willing to listen to those whispers. But for those of us who do believe, we can know that the, the weight is taken off us, that he does all the hard work, so we can labour like it does depend on us. Let's strive for the gospel. Let's preach to the lost. Let's serve them and bless them and point to Christ. We can labour like it depends on us, but we can sleep at night because it depends on him. Takes the weight off. We do the planting and the watering. He brings the growth. And then we see the fruit in Lydia as well. And after she was baptised, straight away, this I want to proclaim this to the world. Baptism is an open declaration that I am Christ's and he is mine. It's a spiritual act that shakes the heavenlies. This is who I am now for eternity. She's baptised, but then she also prevails on Paul. To prevail means to persuade successfully. She wouldn't let go until he said yes. Her household got baptised as well, and she's urged us, she's prevailed upon us, is the final sentence, isn't it? If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Suddenly she's doing the inviting. She invites him in because she wants more of this. There's natural fruit of the transformation on the inside. She was eager for more. She was hungry for spiritual food. And she invites them in. So one more question before I finish. Have you lost your appetite for his word? Have you lost the joy of your salvation? As Martin was talking about that guy who brought seven people along to Alpha. New believers can be the best evangelists. The trouble is that means us who've been Christians for a long time, we can lose our passion and our flavour, can't we? can lose our saltiness if you like if you've lost that ask, ask for it back if you truly want more of him that hunger will naturally bear more fruit but I want to end on this Jesus is the invitational God he's the one who decided to go into the world to connect in such an honest and authentic way that many would receive him, but many rejected, sometimes quite painfully as well. But he knew who he was in the Father to be able to journey through that, to navigate through that for the sake of the lost. And it led to the birth of his church. He goes, he connects, and he births. That's who Jesus is. If you're a believer today, it's because he did that. And for no other reason at all. He's an invitational God and he invites us to reflect that more and more as his people. All he asks is that we are willing to go and connect. Stand up for who we are. He will do all the rest. He will do all the saving. I said a couple of weeks ago, my one overriding prayer for Beacon this year is the year of salvation. I've had enough of not having enough of that. I'm seeing new birth this year. He'll do the saving. He just asks us to go and connect. If you'd like to stand, I just want to pray for us before we finish.